It's Thursday, June 30th, 2016, and you're listening to episode 406 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 56 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. This is Brodor. And this is Chris. All right, so if you are just joining Fear the Boot for the first time, or you're listening to our episodes out of sequence, this is part two of a series, so please go back and listen to episode 405 first, because there's a lot of important ideas we built up in episode 405 that we're now going to sort of try and leverage into practice here in episode 406. I'll go a step further and say, if this is your first episode, go back a few more episodes Find one with some funny, because uh, this is a depressing-ass first episode. <laughs> yeah, well, this this is heavy stuff, because we're talking about mental health issues and how they impact gaming. So if you are just joining us for the very first time, yeah, this is not typical Fear the Boot. I can't be serious two episodes in a row. I know. I can't do it. That's why I have to record them on the same night, that and keep up momentum. <laughs> but anyway, all right, so let me give the same disclaimer I gave on the last episode, and then we are just going to jump right into it. The good old legal thing of we are not mental health professionals. Nothing that we say on this show is meant to be professional medical or mental health advice. Please, if you have a problem or you know someone who has a problem, please do seek a professional counselor, psychologist, psychiatrist, medical doctor, somebody. This show is just us talking about our personal experiences. We're not doctors. We're not psychologists. So that's just not within our wheelhouse of things we can help you with. All right. So what we're going to talk about in this episode is specifically how mental health issues can affect gaming. And I'm going to start off by talking about how it affects gaming as the sufferer. And then we're going to loop back around to talk about how it affects gaming as the rest of the group. Okay, so the people that are being impacted by the condition that you have or or another person has, but are not themselves the ones that are suffering from it. And the biggest thing that I'm going to say this has caused a problem with for me is attendance, because prior to the game, there's something in my life that's making me anxious. There's something in my life that's making me depressed. I'm having a rough go of things in general. Maybe I just can't work up the nerve to get out of the house to get that movement going in general, especially if I'm the one who's gemming. I love gemming. I prefer gemming to playing, but there's that added emotional pressure of having to perform. And so what happens is it gets harder and harder for me to attend. And I go through stretches where I'm not doing the best job of attending. And to be blunt, and I'm not trying to bash anybody here, so I'm not going to name any names, but I have been thrown out of some gaming groups because of this. And there are some other groups where they didn't throw me out, but it became clear it was becoming enough of an issue that I saved them the trouble and the discomfort and just excused myself. That's the biggest way that this has affected me. Now, I'm curious, how has it affected you two, Wayne and Brodor? You hit on a big thing there. For me, any social event is a strain. So anytime I'm going to be around a group of people, I feel like I have to be on. Basically, I try to hide what's really going on in my head. So anytime I'm getting ready for something social, I'm basically dreading it and hoping it gets canceled up until the moment I'm there. Yep. Gaming is my favorite hobby. It is something I have an incredible amount of fun with. And I want to make that completely clear. I am utterly dreading gaming until I get there and it starts. Absolutely on the same page. That once I'm sitting down and the game's in progress, 
I feel great. I'm having a ball. Yep. But everything that leads up in the day or so prior to gaming up to even maybe that first 15 to 30 minutes of the game where you're trying to strike that flow, it is a real bitch for me. Yeah. And I tend to be a person of momentum. So if I get up and get moving, I'm good, but I can't sit back down. I can't, you know, go out and then come back and then go out again. Like I said with gaming, once I get there and I get going, then I'm good. I'm having fun. All of that anxiety leading up to it kind of floats away and I'm good. But that's the hardest thing for me is just getting that momentum to get up and go to the game to begin with. And one of the things that's helped me with that is having my wife in the group now. If I don't go, I drive her so she doesn't go. So now I have that mindset gnawing at the back of my head. Well, if I don't go, then they're down two people instead of just one. And that's a bigger deal. Right. And now I'm taking away her fun and then I'm taking away their fun. Sometimes I need to trick myself to motivate myself. Let me give a few points here about what I think the group can do to help with this issue. Though one thing I think I owe it to everyone else in the group to say right now is I do understand that you want to game this is your hobby. This is not your medical practice. I understand that there are some issues that one maybe cannot be resolved in the course of gaming Two, maybe have just become so big that gaming is not really possible. Using your example of not showing up when you're running the game. I've seen that kill games. Yeah. I mean, the best games we've ever played have died because they couldn't continue running. And one of them was the Skies of Glass game. The very first game I ever played in. I do want to say right here and right now that it is not some kind of guilt-ridden responsibility of a group of friends to attempt to rewrite the entirety of their lives to accommodate a condition that they may not even be equipped to accommodate. I understand that there comes a point where a problem has gotten so severe or whatever that gaming's not the place to handle that, or maybe gaming's not going to work. I get that. But let me try and draw a middle ground here of saying that when someone has one of these conditions, the likelihood of them successfully coping with these conditions is very, very strongly tied to the social support network they have in place. Knowing they have friends who care about them, who will always welcome them, who will reach out to them, that is an important thing. Now, where do you make that call? I can't make that decision for you. But I will just say I do understand both sides. But I think what you can do is look for reasonable accommodation. Okay, for example, in an online game I'm involved in right now, we're doing a dry run on a Fear the Boot actual play, different story for a different time. But they were not sure that it would be a good idea to have me involved because of attendance issues I've had in the past. So I went out with Johnny G, and he and I sat down, and we had a conversation And I said, John, I totally get where you're coming from. You know, as as the person who has the condition, I understand that my lack of attendance is screwing up the fun that you're having. I totally get that. But I said, at the same time, it's important to me to have a group I can be involved in. How about this? Give me a semi-PC or a recurring NPC. Give me a probationary character. And he said, well, I don't know that I want to call probationary. So you didn't say that word. So I said that word. I'm calling it a probationary character. You give me a character that's not deeply tied into the plot, that's not deeply tied into the group template, who can appear and disappear from game to game, and it's not that big of a deal. But just let me know that I have a place at the table and that it's there if I need it. 
or if I'm prepared for it. And he agreed to that, and that made all the difference in the world. And in that particular game, too, I was in the first story arc of that before you joined it, and I had to step away for some of my own issues. Along the same lines, I realized that I had a few things going on that I was struggling with that it wasn't going to be fair to that group because I wasn't going to be there mentally. And, you know, I had to come to that realization for me that, okay, I need to step away for this arc. And I plan on coming back and rejoining that group, you know, once the next arc starts or once I'm have everything under control. But I think a great model for this is the Americans with Disabilities Act. What the Americans with Disabilities Act says in its guideline to employers is it says that you ought to make reasonable accommodation. And then they give some examples of what reasonable accommodation is. And there are things such as unreasonable accommodation. For example, if you want to have somebody who climbs cell phone towers several hundred feet up to run lines, a guy in a wheelchair can't do that job, period. Okay, you know what? People in wheelchairs love you, have nothing against you. There's no reasonable accommodation for that. And in the same way, maybe you have a disorder, a psychiatric or psychological disorder that is so severe, there's no way the group can reasonably accommodate it. But I think in most cases, the group can. The group can find a way to say, you know what? Maybe we can shorten the length of the games a little bit. Maybe we can give you a character that doesn't have to be so intimately tied to the group template. One thing that I think used to help you, Dan, and then we stopped doing it, was for a while there, you, me, and Chad would all go to dinner before gaming. Yeah. Your attendance issues didn't occur while we were doing just a pure dinner beforehand. Yeah, social thing. Hang out socially that is not the scheduled game you were much more likely to show up while we were doing that and not let that impact you as much. And I think part of that, because I get that a lot from our recordings, we go out to dinner before recordings that really helps to just, you know, you've gone through your entire day. This is your unwind before you get down to doing what you're planning on doing. And you can focus on the unwind instead of what you have planned. It's funny, when we were sitting down at dinner this evening, there was just an energy at the table, and I was like, well, I've had a shitty day. Let's talk about some depressing shit, right? (laughs) And everybody was like, yeah, great. But there was a moment at dinner where we all felt, I don't know if I want to do this. And a lot of times you'll come to the gaming table, whether you're GMing or whether you're a player, and you'll say... I don't know if I can do this today. I don't know if I'm up for it. I don't know if I want to do it. For you guys, you were talking about leading up to the game is your most challenging. And then once you're in the game, you're great. I'm the opposite of that. It is during the game, as the game is starting to close is when it starts to bother me. And then when the game is over and I'm going home or my friends have all left my house, that's when I start to get really down about it. Because if it's a bad game, I'm just brutal to myself about how it was a bad game and how I was ill-prepared or I poorly performed. If it's a good game, I'm brutal to myself about how it was a bad game and how poorly I <laughs> but, performed. But then if it was, but then if it's a good game, and I talked about this on the episode where we, where we talked about, you know, how I hate gaming. If it's a good game, I'm bumming because it's going to be a long time before I have a game that good again. Right. But for me, my, unless they're listening to this episode, my players have, or the previous episode, my players have no idea about what my issues are or that I'm depressed and that I'm often suicidal or any of that stuff. They have no clue. So they would have 
no opportunity to make accommodations for me because I have not disclosed it to them. My wife's the only person at the table who knows that I struggle with this regularly. So in a situation where the players don't know, they can't be faulted for not making those accommodations. And one thing I will have to give even the groups I had to step away from credit for was events that occurred mid-game, they tended to be a lot more accommodating on. So if, let's say, for example, I was mid-game and all of a sudden I'm having some kind of anxiety or panic attack, and I would say to them, okay, guys, I'm starting to go down in a bad way. I need to pop some Valium and give it 30 minutes to kick in to settle me down. Everybody be cool with that. Everyone be like, okay, that's chill. We'll just talk about whatever. We'll make fun of the terrible RPG artwork. We'll do whatever for 30 minutes. And, you know, once you're feeling better, we can pick it back up again. And honestly, while the medications sometimes were what did the trick, sometimes it was just hearing the people say, no pressure, it's all cool. That alone was enough to calm me down. That alone was enough to kind of take me out of that moment. I got a question on that kind of thing. I mean, first of all, that's awesome that that exists. Is there a feeling... And I guess this would be another intentionally stupid question. I don't know. Is there a feeling of shame in a certain sense on, you know, when you make those requests because you're essentially, you're being, you know, that guy that's, you know, causing everything to stop at that moment? I mean, do you, does that make things worse or does that not even enter in, into the equation for you? I shame myself into going to gaming sometimes because I don't want to have been the person to have killed the game for everyone else on yeah, the session. I'm with Wayne. I, everybody's going to be different, I'm sure. But for me personally... If the attack hits mid-game, usually it feels so overwhelming, so existentially threatening, even though in truth it's not, that social considerations become very secondary, if they even occur at all. For me, where really the hesitation, the shame, the guilt occurs, it's before the game. It's having that moment of anxiety, depression, whatever it is, and not wanting to be the guy that sends out the email who basically says, we're not going to game this week because I'm just not feeling up to it. And that, of course, gets saddled with the expectation that, well, if I don't keep this game going, they're going to kill it or I'm going to kill it. And I want to scrutinize that part of it because I feel, me personally, I, I actually struggle with that particular issue almost every weekend when our regular gaming group gets together. And just as like you described, the whole time, you know, beginning maybe about a day before leading up to that moment when either you get picked up or you start to arrive, you're kind of, you know, looking for or have in the back of your mind that you want it to just not happen. But is that just a symptom related to maybe internally, maybe you're not enjoying the game itself deep down or is it or is it really based in the anxiety and dealing with having to put yourself into that situation for me it's the anxiety of putting myself into a situation i could be loving the game it could be the best game that i've ever been in and i still feel the same way going in and have you ever been able to pinpoint then what is causing it is it someone in the group is it something in particular with where you're at is it something that you're afraid internally that's going to happen to you while you're there i mean have you ever been able to or is it are you even unable to pinpoint the source of that anxiety it is the idea that there is a scheduled social event it's something you have to do it's something you have to perform for. Well, and Dan, I don't know about you, but for me, when I'm around groups of people, I have this big thing of I don't want people to see. I don't want them to see the crack. So I f- tend to feel like I've got to be on. And that's for any social event. That could be a work thing. That could be a 
you know, a game that could be me- just meeting people for dinner. And then once it's over, I crash. I crash hard. No. I need time by myself yeah. because to recharge. Because it's like it takes all of this energy out of me just to be up and there, even if it's something I'm enjoying doing. Oh, yeah. It just drains me. I, I certainly do as well. And I, I think, though, to Chris's question, it is, at least for me, it's it's more about the build-up, the expectation that there's something I have to be at, there's something I have to perform for, and then that kind of snowballs. It becomes this this perpetual cycle of that fear my life is dominated by the obligations I have to others. Right. And, yeah. And yeah, then, no, I know. I have yeah. no time yeah, for yeah, myself. And, yep, then that, and then that yeah. sense of fear snowballs. It gets bigger and it feeds back into itself. Well, now the fear itself is upsetting me, or I'm afraid of feeling the fear, or I'm afraid of the fear becoming big enough it keeps me from going. And suddenly you have new fears on top of it. And then new fears. Well, now what if I don't go? Will they cancel the game on me? Yeah. Meaning like, will they take the GMing seat away from me? Will they kick me out of the group? Which unfortunately, once again, this has happened to me. And so it starts to kind of pile up to the point that it is usually far worse prior to the game than during. Now, I mean, Chris, have there been games I've rude going to because the games are terrible? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. I can, my brain can real easily separate the two of this game sucks for some reason versus this game may be going great or even just average. I'm, but I'm at least enjoying it. But I just am not in a space to handle it. I just or I feel like I can't handle it. So can I mentioned something in just a quote in the previous episode of the only thing to fear is fear itself. Well, you were just commenting on something there that I wanted to bring back up again. Once you've had a panic attack, you're afraid of having a panic attack. Yes. The fear of having one can cause one. Oh, yeah. And anxiety, a lot of the anxiety is the same way. Being afraid of being anxious can make you really anxious. This is this one, stuff feeds on itself yes. horribly. There are a couple terms that are bounced around in the common parlance that have a different meaning in the medical context. One of them, for example, is paranoid. So this is fascinating to me because... As someone who's often depressed, I don't have anxiety, so right. I'm learning a lot about... <laughs> but, yeah. but one of the, the terms that's oftentimes misused when people hear it in the medical sense is paranoid. Paranoid simply means that you are in a state of... You're basically mentally hyped up, you're worried, you're thinking, you're looking over your shoulder. That doesn't mean, as the old joke goes, the fact that you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. And that's really how it works in the medical sense. If they tell you you are paranoid, right. that does not mean you are delusionally paranoid. You because could re- the government actually is stockpiling <laughs> all of that data, we can prove it. If, but yeah, well, and in my case, I mean, when I went through the really hardcore PTSD and stuff, I had tons of evidence that the things that I was afraid of, the people that were scaring me, this was really occurring. And when I saw the the sheet that a doctor handed me, it said I was dealing with paranoia. I'm like. I just sat here proving you it's true. And he's like, no, 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 no. You don't know. Yeah. I didn't call you delusionally paranoid. That's a different thing. But another term like that that gets misused quite a bit, misunderstood, is the term agoraphobia. Now, most people think agoraphobia means a fear of crowds. That is not what it means. Agoraphobia, it's literal etymology. If you actually work it back, I believe, Greek, what it means is a fear of the marketplace. But the way it's used in medical terminology today is agoraphobia means a fear that is tied to 
a fear of a situation. Okay, so for example, if you're afraid of flying, that's one phobia. But if you start to become afraid that if I go into the airport, I will feel a fear, and that that's a, what agoraphobia is. For me, I have agoraphobia surrounding movie theaters. I love seeing movies. I see tons of movies every year. But I had a really bad panic attack while watching Inception. And ever since then, I am so afraid of having another panic attack in the theater that I have to prepare myself in a variety of ways to go into a theater because on the way there, I'm already psyching myself out because I'm afraid of being afraid in the movie theater. That's what agoraphobia is. And this is something that gets misunderstood because everyone thinks it's a fear of crowds, and that's not what it means. Yeah, I've got, I mentioned last episode I have a few phobias, and that is one of my biggest things is I'm not afraid of those things necessarily. I'm afraid of being afraid in those situations. Yeah. And also, we mentioned the panic attacks have all of these physiological things. I associate that heat rush, the you know, the feeling hot, that's something I look for to tell that I'm beginning a panic attack. So if, say, the air conditioner goes out and I'm suddenly getting hot, I am afraid that I'm having a panic attack, even though logically I know, oh, the air conditioner just went out. Yep. I feel the physical triggers. For me, Wayne, I have a similar thing, except it's with chest pains. And the problem that I have with chest pains is I had surgery done on my sternum when I was about 14 years old. They did reconstructive surgery because I had a sunken sternum. Full name of the surgery is pectus excavatum repair, if you're really curious. Chest bowl. Yeah. I used to have an employee who he could lie down. We could put milk in his chest bowl and his kitty could lick it up. That's weird, but okay. <laughs> That's <laughs> but horrible. They, they, I mean, seriously, the kid could put his hand in it. It oh, was yeah. messed up. I could do the same thing, yeah. but they did a surgery to repair it. And as a result, to this day, I mean, now 25 years later, because of the fact that I had that surgery... I still have a lot of pain around my sternum, oftentimes particularly towards the left side of the rib cage. Well, what does pain on the left side of your chest mean? It means you're having a heart attack, right? Quote, unquote. And so, boom, there it goes. When in truth, all I really need to do is pop some Tylenol or ibuprofen, stretch out a little bit, and I'll be fine in 20 minutes. You know, I'm not having a heart attack. Yeah, see, for me, it all falls back to my value as a human being, right? When I've done something well, I'm valuable when I don't do something well or I make a boneheaded mistake or I say something stupid or I don't perform well. I am not a valuable human being. And most of the time I don't feel like a valuable human being. And when I'm gaming like my like one big true passion escape supposed to be sure. having fun and I don't feel like I'm a valuable human being because I'm a fuck up. That's when it all starts to go dark. And let me give a do and don't here. To the people that are in the group, do ask questions. Generally speaking, you can't really ask a bad question, presuming you're asking this calmly and really interested in learning about the condition. So say, look, what goes on? What does this feel like? What can we do to help? What kind of accommodations would you need to be able to still participate in this group socially? And then you can weigh out your own mind, whether it's something you can reasonably do or it's just not within your means. It's just not within your ability to do, or you're just not willing to do it. It's better to be honest with the person, quite frankly, than it is to make this a big, endless piece of drama. Don't pile pressure on them. Don't start saying, 
well, if you can't show up, that's going to cause this problem, this problem, this problem. You don't need to talk about it that way. Talk about it in terms of solutions. They're already thinking about that. Yeah, bingo. They're already on that. They already believe me. Whether it's depression and they think they're a screw up or whether it's anxiety and they're worried about the repercussions, real or imagined, they've already got that on lockdown. Yeah, the punishment that is going on in their yeah. mind is worse than anything that you could come up but with. But you can say to somebody, okay, what are you dealing with? And they say, well, I'm dealing with this. Okay, how does that affect you when you game? Do you have a problem before the game? Do you have a problem during the game? What types of things could we do to help you feel better? Oftentimes, honestly, just having that conversation starts things on a better path right there. But then you start to get a sense of whether this is something you can accommodate or not. And you can start to phrase this in a positive sense of saying, "Okay, you need this, this and this. You know, we want to still have a game. Would you be okay with maybe us alternating when you're ready to GM, we run your game? And maybe we make it something a little more episodic so we can handle it in smaller doses. There's less pressure on you. When you're not feeling up to it, we're not going to give you any grief. We're not going to run you out of the group. We'll just have another game that we run during those weeks. Or say something like, okay, if you want to be a player, your attendance issues, we totally understand why it's going on. But would you be willing to meet us halfway and play a character that maybe we can work in and out a little bit better? And, you know, say this is somebody who can be here sometimes and not here sometimes or can be npc into the background sometimes i think you hit on something there it's a very big difference if the person is a player or the gm because if they're the gm and they have attendance problems that's going to be a bigger deal than a player a player you can kind of work around is it fair to ask someone you know this is something you struggle with you're struggling with it more right now than usual would you be willing to step down from gm and let someone else gm i would say yes if And here's the two big ifs. If one, you're actually including them in the decision, you're not asking a non-question. It's not basically like, hey, this is what we're going to do, but I'm going to put it in the formal question. Because that's kind of a dick move, to be (laughs) honest. Or secondly, look for middle ground. Say, hey, we understand you want a GM. Could you GM something more episodic? Could you GM something that passes off a little easier? I mean, we've run two games simultaneously before. Now, I'm not saying this is the right solution. Every group is different. Everyone's desire is different. I am not saying that everyone automatically owes their hobby time to, excuse my being kind of a jerk here in the phrasing, but to coddling somebody else. But what I am saying is if this is your friend and you want to help them, then understand where they're coming from. Say, how important is it to you to GM? What is it you're specifically getting out of GMing? Would you be willing to do an episodic game that we can interlace with another game? Would you be willing to give up your game temporarily Let's give you a couple months to settle down a bit and get past some of the other drama in your life, and then you'll be up again next. We'll put you right next in line in three or six months to GM again. And I think there's ways that you can work with the person, assuming they're a reasonable individual, and you may have to time that right to catch them, to be blunt, at a moment when they're reasonable. We are talking about mental disorders. I mean, so let's call it for what it is. But, you know, I don't know. There's no one-size-fits-all to this. But I've got to think there's a way that you can include the person and a concern for their feeling in the solution. I think it doesn't have to be two extremes of either you're there and you're perfect or your ass is out. So one other way that my particular issues have impacted me in gaming, I don't tend to have a lot of issues when I'm running a game. Because basically if I'm running the game, I'm always engaged and always doing something. There's no downtime at the table for me. When I'm playing a game, though, sometimes something will be said and it'll just be gnawing off away at me in the back of my head the entire night 
or a situation will happen in game that will remind me of something that has and you happened, obsess about it and i'll obsess about it and i really wish i could give examples because i hate you know saying this happens without ever without being able to come up with an example but i remember the feelings not what actually happened in any of these cases but the whole night for me will then be gone for the rest of the night. I will spend that entire time obsessing on that one thing. And I think I do a good job of hiding it, but it definitely will impact my enjoyment of the entire night. It's one of those things where it just happens. That happens in social situations occasionally, too. Something will be said or a situation will occur, and I won't be able to get it out of my head. Nothing I do can move it away. And it could be something as simple as uh, somebody says, oh, well, that name was stupid for an NPC. Now, that's all I'll think about for the rest of the night. Or a plot point flops or yeah. somebody makes an ignorant comment about one of your NPCs or, yeah, I mean, there's... And it won't end there. It'll last all week for me going up to the next game. I'll be thinking about that. See, I don't game, none of the groups that I participate in, none of them game once a week. The greatest frequency currently is every other week. I run my fifth edition D&D game once per month. And part of me wishes that I could run it every week only because that if a session didn't go well, it would be easier for me to break out of my funk because I know that, hey, you know what? Next week's coming. I'll do better next time, you know, and, and, and I'll obsess less about it. But the pressure that builds up to perform because I'm only game mastering once a month, that if it doesn't go well, then I really shit all over myself. Right. And so that is a big, big challenge because it starts to build a lot of pressure. And I don't I'm not afraid of the game. I'm not like all built up with anxiety about the game coming. I don't obsess about it that way. However, I do put a lot of pressure on myself during the game to perform. And sometimes it's it's difficult to just be loose and natural. I think that I found something similar, but it works out the same, but it comes from a different direction. If you have off weeks, you start to look forward to the off weeks too much. You start to get in the thing of, it's like having a four-day weekend. Mm -hmm. You don't want to go back to work after a four-day weekend. You don't want to go through a five-day week after a four-day weekend. It's, it's kind of the same sort of thing. If I have to game this week, but the next week I don't, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is chilled. No pressure, no social performance, no nothing. And you kind of spend that time and you enjoy it a little bit too much. And you start thinking about, oh, but then this week now I do have a game. This isn't an off week. And a moment of relief amplifies the stress that leads up to the next game. And, and if you're only gaming once a month, man, you can't indulge the quit, right? You can't indulge the cancellation because you're only doing it once a month. And if you miss a game, that is going to be detrimental to the momentum of the game. So you've got to just suck it up and do it. All right, so one of the things that people have gotten on me for over the years of doing Fear the Boot is that I take the middle road on too many things. And I think part of that's because of the fact that I do have a mind that tends to think towards moderation, and I, I do oftentimes see the truth is somewhere in the middle of things. Now, incidentally, there is actually a logical fallacy called, I think it's appeal to moderation, which says that the truth is always in the middle, which is not the case, by the way. Well, you're also, when you're on the mics, you're the moderating host. Well, yeah, that too. So I have to take a somewhat middle view. And... You see, I will indulge extremism. <laughs> well, I'm about to, a little bit. Because... You more than indulge it. You French kiss it. <laughs> I, well... do, I, I just, I just, I'm reactionary. I'm angry. I'm extreme. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of these days, <laughs> we're going to have a bonus episode or a negative episode or something where I don't know if we're going to come up with our own topics or get some listener emails 
or maybe we'll do like a crossover with Happy Jacks with their I, listener emails. And I'm just going to dispense the, just the most I harsh, would love belligerent, that. hateful yeah. advice <laughs> I can give. There's gonna, It's just going to be brutal. But I'm going to give you a little bit of that right here, right now, because there is something that is floating around in gaming. And I'm not going to tell you not to do this. If this works for your group, if this is what you need to feel at peace in your hobby, then you are not hurting me by doing it. Okay. Partner swapping? No. <laughs> but with that out of the way, something that I personally cannot stand is the X card. Have you guys heard of this? Yes. Oh, okay. yes. I've heard of that. So what the X card is, is when you start the game, you put an index card or piece of paper in the middle of the table that has a big red or black X drawn across the middle of it. And if at any point in the game, one of the players or the GM, I'm about to say, fuck off, starts to become bothered by something. They start to become upset by something. Someone just reaches out and just touches that X with the pencil or with their hand or whatever. Nothing further is said, but whoever's speaking understands that whatever they just said is unacceptable to the person hearing it. And no questions asked. You skip it. You rewind. You do over. I want to kill that person more than I want to kill me. (laughs) So if if the game master has a plot point that you find disturbing, you touch the red X and the game master rewinds and immediately changes the plot point. I'm going to do that so I can eliminate players. (laughs) Like, that's going to be my litmus litmus test. test. (laughs) You're just, oh, well, um, Carl, well, it was nice gaming with you. Get the f*** out of my house. Here's why I have a problem with it. Now, once again, if this works for your group, if this works for you, I'm not going to come to your house and break your kneecaps. Use it. Have fun. You're only screwing up gaming if your group is not enjoying it. So if you need this, that's yeah. fine. I'm there just, are certain types of gaming groups out there that I think it probably works wonderful. Or with. there might be somebody in the group. We are not those personalities. Right. Or there might be somebody in the group who has a lot of issues because they've had really complex backgrounds or whatever, and maybe their boundaries and landmines aren't clear. So, but I'm just saying for me personally, I am fine as a game master or player with being told what you just did, what you just said, how you're acting right now is bothering me, but be an adult, look me in the face. I'm not going to scream at you. I'm not a table flipper and just say, can we not do that? Wayne, you've got a big thing about animals and animal abuse, right? So, okay. So if there's a Skies of Glass game or whatever game, and let's say somebody's going to carve up and eat an animal, I know I don't need to go into great detail on that. I can say this happened and we can just do it off camera and move on. And if I start to get really graphic into it, and this actually happened in an online game that we were playing. It wasn't with animals. It was with something else. But there was a plot point in a Skies of Glass game that bothered one of the players. And she didn't know me well enough to approach me about it. So she told another player and this player came and told me and said, hey, she's really bothered by such and such. And right there, I was totally cool about it. I said, you know, the yes. And I said, it's completely understandable. I said, she doesn't need to explain it. She doesn't need to defend it. She doesn't need to feel bad for it. That is completely 100 percent fine. She doesn't need to vindicate herself to me. I will be sure not to do things like that in the future. Or if that kind of darkness in general bothers her, maybe we need to look at playing another game. But I appreciate the fact that I was at least told what the issue was and why it was an issue. It wasn't just this pointing at a card thing. But the reason I bring this up is because as someone who has these issues, as someone who has my own boundaries, once again, I went 
through a struggle with PTSD for several years. I don't know if you ever totally get over it, but I would say I'm 99% over it. I still have anxiety. I still sometimes have depression. There are things in games that upset me. There are things in games that set me off. I hate to use the term because I think it's become so obfuscated by politics. There are things that quote unquote trigger me. And I need to say, look, I'm not sure that this is the best thing for me to be experiencing right now, but I would much rather handle that by communicating that. Because if I touch a card with an X, I mean, okay, at least it was communicated. I'm not cool with that. And so I'm still comfortable at the table. I guess that's something. But the question is, what was that? What And why? Well, that's the thing is that the timing issue may suddenly create that it's You'd ha- you have to choose which one. Wh- was it the thing I was just talking about or the thing that I'm now going to talk about? And that you you reacted a little bit later because you realized 30 seconds after I finished the previous plot point or whatever that this is something that bothers you. And now you're responding. And I've had moments in games where I've had to stop the action and say, okay, hold up. I know you're just role-playing an NPC but you're leaning across the table yelling in my face. That's freaking me out a little. Can you please not do that? And I've never had a person be a dick about it. You know, if they were a dick about it, I don't want to game with them anyway. But that communication, I think, is important. And what bothers me about the X card, it's not the fact that you're saying it's cool for somebody to veto things. Because I'm fine with that. If somebody's, you know, got issues, I'm fine with attempting to reasonably accommodate those. It's too vague. But yeah, there's no communication. There's no understanding that's being built there of what the issue is. I mean, I've got people in my life right now, and I'm not going to name names. They're not people affiliated with the show, but people that I'm close friends with right now who have been through some really serious stuff in their life. And there are some things I have to be very careful about talking about and joking about. And it's not because these people are, you know, little delicate flowers. They've been through some serious I get why it's an issue to them. But the fact is, if they don't explain that to me, I don't know what the issue is or why. I don't know how to behave. You know, all I know is, well, that pissed me off. Well, well, why did that piss you off? And I need to know this because what are other things I might do that might piss you off for good reason? Thankfully, I've never had anything major at the table. There was one time where the conversation was something where I felt I needed to get up and step away for a minute. Right. And there's a lot of things that will be said or happen in a game that'll trigger the anxiety, but... Nothing has ever actually been bad enough that it would bring a panic attack. I have had that in a movies, though, because movies, I'm visually seeing things and situations depicted. And I have had to I've had to step outside of a movie in a theater once because it was too real. And you know what, Wayne? Actually, that's a really good point. And and I think that maybe this might be a similar system that would actually be a better thing rather than stopping things midstream. If you feel that you have to have this kind of thing in your group, then those types of things should be dealt with before play starts. As a game master, it might be your obligation to say, look, you know, I understand that because it's a role-playing game, we could end up in far field, but this event as written or as, as I've jotted out contains these particular themes. If any of these themes are troublesome to you, maybe you should, you know, let me know. Um, we can talk about it beforehand so then I can make adjustments so we don't have to stop play. Or as a player, if there are certain issues that you know will cause you those types of traumas, yeah, have that discussion well beforehand. And then if it's a regular group, you're going to build up that habit of knowing 
knowing what works, what doesn't work, what's what's okay to talk about, what's not okay to talk about. But even in a con game, if you're going to have a, an event description, maybe you should, you know, and you know it's going to be dealing with themes that might really affect some people. It's kind of almost an obligation to maybe mention that up front rather than having it get completely derailed two and a half hours into a four hour event. Yeah, and I, and I agree with that, Chris. And that's yeah. something that I want to be clear about is even if I'm not a big fan of the X card itself, that does not mean I am against compassion, empathy, clear communication, including proactive communication to ask things like, okay, are there subjects that are really going to bug you guys that I need to be aware of? Is there something you've got trauma with that you're carrying around? Or say something like, I mean, for example, if I run a game at Fear the Con that I know is going to involve really, really graphic content, whether that's age-inappropriate content, just a lot of profanity and sexuality, whatever, or whether that's something like Skies of Glass, where it's going to be a really brutal and bloody environment, I'll put in the description, this is going to have these kinds of themes. If you come here, be prepared for that. If you can't handle that, that's 100% cool. I think no less of you. That's a great thing. I, I hope you have a wonderful time at that slot of the con, but my game is probably not the game for you. Well, and on the other side of that, though, you have a pretty good understanding and handle on what's going to trigger you because you've gone through it. You think about it a lot. I think I have a pretty good handle on myself. Not everybody that struggles with these things knows what's going to necessarily trigger them. And even I would guess, Dan, you've probably been caught off guard before that something triggered that you didn't expect would. Yes. And I know I have, too. So the conversation before the game is great for what you know about, but you don't necessarily know everything. L- let me give you an example that's not per se directly game related. And incidentally, there is a follow-up show I want to do on this at some point. And the person I have in mind, one of the people I have in mind for the follow-up show on how to use mental health ideas in gaming, I guarantee you is going to want to talk about this, about how to keep checking in with people to see how certain game elements are affecting them, because that's what he's trying to do with the game is he's trying to explore difficult ideas. But we'll save that for the show that it occurs on. But let me give you a real example. And this is not someone who's associated with the show, but I'm going to still change her name anyway, just out of respect for her. Okay. So I'm going to call this person Lisa. So I've been having a bunch of conversations lately with Lisa, and there's a lot of things about her and about her past that are very, very alien to me. They're experiences that I simply don't have a good frame of reference to interpret. And she herself has told me in no uncertain terms that there's a lot about it even she's still trying to figure out. That whether it's buried memories, where whether it's landmines she doesn't know are there, she can be going along and all of a sudden something she didn't expect sets her off. Now, if anyone was rolling their eyes, let me tell you right now, you don't know Lisa's story. Trust me, she's not overreacting. Okay, she really has been through stuff this bad. So just trust me on this one. But we've still been able to have that communication where I'll say something and she's been able to come back and say, okay, hold up for a sec. That's really bugging me. And I'll be like, okay, why? I don't know. There's oftentimes the response I'll get. And I'll be like, okay, let's talk through this. Let's take it slow and easy. No pressure. Not mad. Does it remind you of something? Is there what's going through your mind right now? What are you thinking? What what are you seeing? What are you feeling? You know, what's what's going on in your head? And I try to use that as a moment to help her explore 
and understand these boundaries that even she didn't know existed. And in the same way, I've been in games before where even if the triggering moment, I was like, I hate to use that term, but even if the moment that set me off is not obvious to everyone else, I can still at least say to the table, guys, hold up one sec, panic's kicking up, give me a minute to clear my head, and I well, at least say fortunately, yes, there are dicks out there, but at least say fortunately, in my experience, that's never been the issue. I usually get more grief between the games than at the games, but that's never been an issue. And I mean, this has happened at recording. I mean, Wayne, how many times have you guys, it's not been a lot, fortunately, but there have been times you guys have come over here for recording or even before recording when we're planning it. And I'll be like, you know what, guys, I'm just not doing well in the head today. I need to set this episode out. Tonight yeah. at dinner, you said... That, you know what, I would not be up for recording a normal episode this evening, but considering the subject matter, I, th- I think I'm going to be fine. Yeah, because all I have to do is sit in a bad space and vent about it. Right. <laughs> I don't have to try and sound upbeat about why Riss is terrible. You know, I, I can... <laughs> and, uh, and so that's happened at records. I mean, goodness gracious, the episode a few back that Sergeant Dan was on. And I think when you moderated, I believe you moderated that episode. The reason I wasn't on that is I told him in no uncertain terms. I said, I'm not right in the head right now. I need to go lock myself in the bedroom and just play a video game or something and just clear my brain. I really can't be around people and socializing right now. And everybody was cool with that. I mean, everybody's cool about it. everyone came in here, cut an episode. It got released. Everything was great. See, I have to say that like most of my stories, don't do what I do because it's stupid and foolish and careless. And oftentimes, you know, me as a game master, it's not that I'm not sympathetic to other people's issues and their problems. I just don't think about having those conversations. And so I'll just run with stuff. Right. With the only exception ever being was the gore game I ran at the last Fear the Con where I was like, look, if you're easily offended, don't play this game. If it's difficult to offend you, you probably shouldn't play this game. Right. <laughs> but it, but it, but in my home game, I just run with it. Right. And I just do and I go and I power through it. Right. And I've had moments in the game that were on one hand, a personal triumph of horror. And on another hand, were these terrible, ugly things that made people obviously very visibly uncomfortable that I just kind of powered through. But we didn't talk about, you know, what holds our bard, what's okay, what's not okay. Right. You know, and I have to say that, you know, my gaming career has been blissfully ignorant in terms of I have not really had these conversations with my players about what kind of things do I address that bother you, what kind of subject matter sure. or things that I should avoid. We don't we've never really talked about it. We just kind of go and do and I, and, and so, I think it's fair to put a little bit of onus on both sides. I don't think it's unfair to say as the game master or even as a player, there's no harm in taking 15 minutes at the start of one of your game sessions to say, is there subject matter you guys don't want me dealing with? You know, conversely, look, there's something called Hanlon's Razor. What Hanlon's Razor says is never attribute to malice anything that can be explained by ignorance. Right. And I think there is some onus upon the person who is suffering the condition to communicate that to, to touch the red co- the red x in the middle of the table <laughs> no to i mean if you need to touch that red x to stop the game for a split right. second great but then you need to say to the person i can't handle this topic for some reason and you don't you know i'm not even saying you have to explain why you can just say it's a it's a personal reason something bad happened to me in that regard whatever i don't know however much or little you want to say 
I don't think you owe everyone there the dirty laundry of your life. Yeah. But you can't expect them to magically know, A, what's bothering you, or B, why it's bothering you, or C, how to avoid bothering you again in the future if well, you won't tell them. And in my defense, these are people that I game with that are my friends, right? People that I've known for years, that I socialize with, you know, away from the game, etc. So we have a generally pretty good idea of where people's boundaries are. And um, I don't like things to get rapey. Right. Whether it's a book or a movie or a game, I just don't want it to be rapey. And, you know, if it occurred terrible, we'll deal with all of the aftermath, et cetera. I don't need a front row seat. I just don't want that in a game. But the people that I game with, they know. Right. And so it doesn't occur in the game. It's something that is deliberately avoided. Well, and I think you know something, too. It's also how much it's described. Right. For some things, just glossing over. Yes, it happened is good enough and it won't cause a problem right, i want to get into the right? i don't need tarantino yeah, well so at gm confession time here i know my wife is utterly freaked out by spider like it's not full-blown phobia or anything but it is utter freak out so i wanted to creep her out in a game and i didn't just introduce a spider villain i described in detail all of the spiders that she was controlling and described the feeling of the individual legs going up her <laughs> leg and yeah, I crossed some lines there knowing well, what her lines were. Right, and let's, let's go. And she wasn't the only one at the table that was utterly disturbed by that. And afterwards, I thought about it. It's like, how many times have we warned people not to do that? And I just did it. Well, let's put the spider thing away and go back to what Brodor was talking about. That one is an obvious issue that a lot of people are going to have a problem with. Yeah, Some people won't. If your gaming group doesn't, whatever, I don't care. It's fiction. It's not my problem. Yeah, But... That's an obvious one a lot of people are going to have an issue with, and I think you have to accept that even when you're trying to create content that is disturbing or unsettling, there's a very, very different sort of feel between a horror movie or a haunted house, you know, kind of the good sort of scary, the good sort of grit versus somebody curled up in the corner of the bathroom weeping with a knife. I mean, these are two different kinds of shock, right? You're not trying to create the second kind. And if you do that willfully, you're kind of an asshole. Yeah. So once again, I think there needs to be some conversation on both sides. You cannot expect the GM to not get caught up in the moment, to not do something without realizing the effect it's going to have. You can't expect them to magically know what your boundaries are. Well, and this isn't just GM, because one of the points of the X card is that it's for anything that happens. Yeah. So you're the GM, Dan. Brodor says something. I sunder your wand of magic missiles with my Death Knight or what have you. Well, yeah. I mean, let me give you an example that this occurred in a game that I was in. This was at the uh, DrewCon. Bob Arns was running a game where we were playing the contractors on the Death Star. Kick ass. And And there was a scene where I was playing the super buttoned down, straight laced guy. His name was Ralph Palpatine. (laughs) No relationship whatsoever to the Emperor. To Sheev, no relationship to (laughs) Sheev. But because people just saw the name Palpatine, they assumed he must be related. And so every time his name crossed anyone's desk, they kept moving him up the ladder. For, for fear of atten- offending the actual emperor. 
And so he like didn't even want to be there. I, the way I kind of made it up on the spot was he actually had a chain of restaurants on Coruscant <laughs> and he wanted to retire and become a Bantha farmer <laughs> on a planet that I invented named Bantuin. <laughs> Not to be confused with Dantuin, but he wanted to retire to Bantuin. But it was the point being, though, that, that Pat was playing a Twilight prostitute, literally. Huh. Yeah, I know. Shocking. Big shock. I, I know. I know. I'll give everyone a moment to let that sink <laughs> right. in that Pat was playing a Twilight prostitute. She doesn't dip a digit. She gives you the whole tentacle. Is that... <laughs> Thank you, Rodar. Welcome, welcome to my game. <laughs> but but he started in the course of the role playing, talking about how his character was sitting in my character's lap, and Pat was physically sitting next to me. Now mm-hmm. he did not physically put his legs in my lap, but he did at one point put his arm around me. Now I know Pat. I've known Pat for years. This type of thing doesn't bother me, but I can easily see how it would have bothered somebody else. Someone who doesn't know him or someone who has a background where physical touch with people they don't trust or don't know really freaks them out. And I can see where that would be something that's going to happen. And once again, I just think there needs to be clear communication where you presuppose start it. This was just an honest mistake. Dumbass as it was, it was just an honest mistake. And communicate what those boundaries and what those lines are and what that person needs to keep functioning within the group. And if it's not possible... If this gaming just ain't the place to work that out, then cross that bridge when you come to it. So something kind of tangentially related. I want to put out a thank you, a table at DrewCon. So this was day two of DrewCon. My wife is playing the Muppets game and gets a phone call about a death in the family. Oh, and she got the Batman series. What's that? Not the Batman series. series. So she gets a call about a death in the family at the game, has to step away, take the call. She comes back. Everyone immediately recognizes that something's wrong, and they did everything they could to keep her distracted and enjoying the game and not thinking about it. A couple of them were in games with her throughout the day, and they continued that on throughout the day. And I say it's tangentially related because, it's no, it's not long-term depression or anything like that, but we are dealing with something more, something mentally related there. And they really went out of their way to try to help her get through the day because they ask her do you need to step away she's like if i do i'm just going to go somewhere and cry or if i go home i'm just going to be home by myself and it really helped her to have a table of gamers there that knew that she was going through something and how they helped was they didn't talk about it yeah they distracted and they kept going that is something for me i don't always want to talk about it i don't want to focus on it i just want to be treated normal well and there's four words there Four powerful words that I'm going to use to wrap up this episode. If you want to do everything you can, if you want to really make a powerful difference in a situation that's unfolding, use these four words. What do you need? No expectations, no baggage. It's not a loaded question. Those four words. What do you need? And let the person tell you. And if what they say is, I need to keep going, then you keep going. If what they say is, I need five minutes alone, then you give them five minutes alone. Whatever it is they say, I mean, unless they're asking for both your kidneys, you can probably make it work. So anyway, hopefully next week we'll be back to something a little bit more lighthearted and a little bit more Twilight prostitutes. Yeah, we'll have Pat on here to talk about Twilight prostitutes or something. But anyways, thank you guys for tuning in. I hope whether that you are suffering with this condition or or have someone in your group who is or don't right now, but may have in the future, uh, then I hope this has been of some help to you. Or maybe you can refer this to people that don't normally listen to Fear of the Boot who just might benefit from this kind of information. So beyond that, thank you guys for tuning in. 
Thanks again to all of our Patreon backers for helping us to get the extra editing. And hopefully soon here we'll be swapping out the medieval torture chairs and I will stop abusing your asses. Well, if you're a Patreon listener on the previous episode, you got to hear me saying eep up or aha. That means I love you. From the Jetsons, yeah. I'm sure everyone's looking forward to that. (laughs) I remember that that song, Broder. I know what you're talking about. So thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2016. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy network of shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.